Hello there. We're trying to keep Coral Chihuahua going, and so we draw your attention to the possibility of listening to us on Patreon for just a few quid a month. This also magically gets rid of the ads. That's Patreon with an E, patreon.com forward slash Coral Chihuahua. On with the app. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Second inversion chords. Second inversion chords. Niche jingles, niche choral, what is this, infotainment? That's a terrible word, isn't it? Um, Ah, Rethian values, that's what we are. I'm sitting here with Eamon in his kitchen. Welcome to your kitchen, Eamon. Well, welcome to Sussex, Robert. How nice to have you here. I've been on a trip. I've been uh, York to Bristol, which takes far too many hours, and then here today. Um, First question is, did you get a break? I did. I I had a whole month off, pretty much. I had one concert in four weeks. It was absolutely glorious. You jammy thing. But I needed it, I have Mm. to say. It does seem with you and many of our colleagues that it's literally running around from one thing to the next, the pressure of having to perform so many days on the trot. Do you wake up in the morning on the days when you're conducting and think, ah, fantastic, I haven't got to look after my voice and sing today? Yeah, that is one of the bonuses, for sure. The flip side of that is then you do wake up on the days that you do have to sing and think... Oh, I've got to sing today. Uh, lovely to see uh, art, uh, children's art around the kitchen. That's what a kitchen is for. Um, but we're going to be talking about what we're doing this autumn because we both got fairly full schedules, I think. I'm teaching at the University of York undergrad project this term, as well as the master's course. So I'm teaching a module called Singing Monteverdi, in which the great lesson we will learn is that it's much like singing anything else with extra bits. Um What's your, oh, it's iniquitous to say, what's your fave project coming up this autumn, but uh, what sort of things are you you looking forward to? I'm not going to tell you if I've got a favourite thing, but I have got a couple of things which I'm particularly looking forward to. Um, The first of which is uh, a big piece by James Macmillan. Of course, James very much in the public eye at the moment, having written uh, the commission Mm. for the funeral of Queen Elizabeth II. Um, And it's a piece that I conducted the premiere of a few years ago. Can't wait to do it again. How about yourself? Well... What we're going to start with is a little bit of a, a Bach Lutheran mass. You played, uh, I think, our last episode, a little bit of the G major mass. You talked about how if you don't do Bach, you actually physically miss it. And this is a piece that I need to do for my mental health, as they say, because how is it possible not to listen to this piece and not jump up in the air at the end and shout, hooray! <laughs> it's one of these four Lutheran masses uh, with just the Kyrie and the, and the Gloria. And the first section of the Gloria 
I remember the first time you look at the score for this, I couldn't quite believe it because it looks like some tricky string writing. And then you look at the beginning, it says horn, mm. two horns, that the lip control uh, of the players here. And, and it's like the shepherds sort of rushing down the hill to sort of like a hunting scene, really, to, to pass on this good news. And the performance is it's ludicrous, really. It's, it's Paul, Paul McCreesh and the Gabrielli consort doing it a little bit too fast. But, but the adrenaline is... Yeah.
Woof. I mean, how is that not the most famous piece of Bach? <laughs> I can see why it doesn't get done much. It's so bleeding hard. I've done it a number of times, and there's bum bum ba kada 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 kada. Everyone's always late off the, the semiquavers, but absolutely not there. It's them set up by that's Peter Harvey and um, Simon Birchall on the bass line, just two to a part. Absolutely off it. But the the adrenaline of that. Let's um let's sh- a shout out for the horn players, Philip Eastop and Robert Evans. That's an incredible, incredible job. That's just something else, isn't it? I talk about effervescent virtuosity, but they make it sound effortless. Yeah. Um, so I'm doing that at the Brecon Baroque Festival uh, with Rachel Podge leading the band and me conducting um, conducting X, uh, four Fagellini and eight X York singers of mine. We're trying to come up uh, with a, a name for this. We don't want the E Fagellini Youth Ensemble, but someone suggested Nouvelle Farg. <laughs> that's appalling. It is. We probably won't get out very much, but there you go. So that's, that's a little trip to Wales. Lovely. I can't imagine that Rachel... Gets conducted very often these days, does she? No, and well, luxury uh, casting, isn't it? It is. Um, we did a thing with her at Christmas, our Angels and Demons program last year, in which she mostly had to play pizzicato. <laughs> she was complaining about her finger afterwards and saying, "I haven't played so much pizzicato for a while." But she's such a wonderful, warm-hearted person. And any collaboration I've done with Rachel is always very, very relaxed. And you, you know, everyone has a job to do, and you know she's leading the band. I won't be telling the horns how to play. Now, you're off to Dublin at some point, aren't you? I am. Yeah, that's my other uh, November project. I'm off to conduct Chamber Choir Island, which I'm thrilled about. I've been wanting to have the opportunity to work with them for, for years. I did actually work with many of the singers quite a few years ago uh, under a different guise. Um, so delighted to yeah, to be invited back. This is another Macmillan connection, actually. Uh, it's a programme called O Radiant Dawn. Uh, and it's a selection of works by James primarily, but also Renaissance composers who influenced him. So Thomas Tallis, William Bird. Mm. Uh, we've put some uh, pieces by Raffaele Aliotti in as well. Um, but also... Ooh, oh, now that's good. I've only just been introduced to him by some of my singers on the MA course. Introduced to her, you mean? Uh, sorry, yes, that's exactly <laughs> what I mean. Um, uh, oh dear, I'm not going to live that one. Now, well, I won't edit it out because that's, um, that's uh, a rubbish mistake. But um, we did... Um, or they sang, my MA group sang a magical of hers. Fantastic, I thought. Yeah, wonderful stuff. Um, Have you got you got motets? Uh, yes, a couple of motets uh, by her. I can't remember off the top of my head which ones we're doing, but I've just been doing some recently. I think it's a Song of Songs setting, Ego Floss Campy, possibly. This is a composer with two names. Yes. Uh, one sacred name, I forget which was which, and one name for when she was had, hadn't been in the, in the convent. I know Laurie Strass and others have done work on this was it laurie she's responsible for so much of the work on working convents um, but there was a wonderful program about it on bbc recently actually it wasn't laurie doing that particular program uh, worth going and having a listen if, if you're interested in aliotti there's a really good early music show on this and alongside that we're doing um works by two composers who are like sort of proteges uh, of james's so it's like a kind of sort of master and um yeah, masterful influences, and then him passing his influence on to Kim Porter, uh, alto with a 16, uh, who's also a wonderful composer, and she studied with Jimmy when she was a student at Manchester University, uh, and Owen Desmond, who was mentored by James for a recent project. Uh, this, the Genesis Foundation uh, had commissioned uh, a new work by James um, based on words by St. John Henry Newman, uh, the uh, the poet and uh, dream of the guy who wrote the dream of Gerontius, thank you and th- this text a meditation uh, in trust in god uh, which is a, a poem that spoke very 
directly to John Stadzinski, the founder of the Genesis Foundation, and he's commissioned Will Todd, James McMillan, and then we had these uh, three younger composers, um, of whom one is Owen Desmond, and we're going to be performing his setting of Nothing in Vain uh, with Chamber Choir Island as well. So it's it's a really nice sort of um, a sort of uh, symbiotic relationship to it. I, I met him because he came up to York for the final performance of my current MA group, um, who's Irish soprano uh, Sarah Keating had introduced the group to his music and he'd written a piece for them uh, and she's now going to be singing with Chamber Choir Island so I hope she's in your on your project which bit are we going to hear of this uh, we're going to hear the beginning of it so we can hear the text clearly
Nothing in Vain by Owen Desmond. That was the 16, conducted by Harry Christophers on a recent recording called A Meditations, Various Settings by St. John Henry Newman. Beautiful stuff. And if anyone wants to look him up, how do you spell Owen? <laughs> it's uh, it's E-O-G-H-A-N. Always worth clarifying with an Irish name. Yeah, well, that's what I've afflicted our, we've afflicted our children with, with Irish names. Poor boys. There was plenty of dance in the Bach at the beginning. Dance is something which has featured quite heavily in your radar recently, isn't it? Yes, there's a project I've been doing with the Shobana Jayasing Dance Company, a project she first came to me about in 2019, London-based choreographer. Um, but it only was able to happen for the first time this year at the Grange. We've just done it in London at uh, Sadler's Wells. We're off to take it to Snape Maltings, the Oxford Playhouse, and uh, the Lowry in Manchester shortly. Um, uh, I can't really play you anything of it, but some incredibly impressive singing by Ed Lyon. But what, uh, what is it? Well, it's a, it's, it's a double bill, a very short double bill, of a Monteverdi uh, famous battle piece, The Battle of Tancred and Clorinda, which he sings all the, the vocal parts of, the narrator and the, uh, the other two, while the, the two characters, Tancred and Clorinda, while these dancers on stage are bringing that to life. This beautiful design. I've never been involved in a programme where the, the design... And the sound is that gigs? Do you want to check? <laughs> Unlikely. <laughs> Where the design and the, the the sound design is so much part of the the creative project. I'm used to you know being the director of the whole thing because it's Fagellini and it's beautiful to step back and, and and watch that happening. And the dancing is breathless. So if you could, it's called a Clorinda Agonist or Agonistas, Clorinda Agonist, and it's happening um, over the next few weeks here and there while doing other things. Um, but I'm also off to Cambridge to do uh, some Schutz and some Orazio Benevoli. Remember that name with the University of Cambridge Chamber Choir. Um, nice to work with the youth. In fact, the youth is, um, is something we're going to be getting back to shortly because our next episode um, is an episode where I'm talking to some young singers out on one of Andrew van der Beek's Laycock courses uh-huh. uh, out in Italy. Uh, where we got bitten to death by mosquitoes. But you're, in fact, you're about to do a course for Andrew, uh, aren't you? I mean, these, this is a staple part of our freelance career, isn't it, working for for these courses? That's right. Andrew's, I mean, he's been running these courses for, for decades, hasn't he? Um, yes, I'm running a course, actually, in this country this time. Um, we're going to be based in Lewis, uh, looking at music from, from the English, English Renaissance. Uh, so we're going to be tackling Vox Patris by William Mundy, that wow. behemoth. Uh, of a piece but so i mean it's so challenging but so wonderful 17 minutes of just extraordinary uh i seem to remember from a john milsom article about this that it's just possible that that piece was sung to mary as she came on her return to london but if so it was sung by the choristers in the choir of st paul's outside st paul's that's right what does that tell you about the acoustics i mean we can't be sure that that was the piece but um, sometimes you get a little bit of information like that, and it turns your turns your world on its head. Yeah, there's that there's that line, isn't it, that the Queen stopped and listened a, a, a long while or a good while to the music that was being sung. Well, and... she she need to have seventeen minutes. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's that's a that's a monster piece, isn't it? Uh, yeah, and then various works by Bird and Tallis and uh, Wilkes and fifteen seventy five Bird, those Cantiones Sacri pieces. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, some of that, and uh, one of my favourite pieces of Tallis, Susipe Queso. Suspicious cheese. Suspect cheese, exactly yeah. that. Yeah, mm. uh, you don't hear it very often. I suppose probably because it's quite long. But uh, yeah, it's... well, I suppose that, you know all those bird and talus pieces that we really know are the pieces that you get in Eden Song, the pieces we would have come across yeah. in Eden Song, and that's 
you, you don't do, I mean, you don't do the big 20-minute motets or Talis Gaudi Gloriosa. I mean, they're fantastic. And you never have time to rehearse it when you're doing eight services a week either. Can we play something from that sort of period? Uh, yeah, we can, actually. Um, of course, the 16 are carrying on with our choral pilgrimage uh, that we carry on with that series of concerts over the autumn. But just recently, uh, we have released uh, a new recording of works by Billy... <laughs> Billiam. Billiam Word. Billiam Word. Yeah. Billiam Word. Uh, yes, he was... Oh, hello. That's another gig. That's another gig. Um, you yep. bastard. <laughs> William Bird. Uh, what's the title of it? The Psalms, Sonnets... Psalms, and, Sonnets and Songs. Psalms, Sonnets and Songs. His last publication. Isn't that right? Uh, yes, last publication. He had yeah. some songs in William Layton's Tears and Lamentations of a Sorrowful Soul later than that, but his, his last one. And he's slightly... Um, yeah, cataclysmic, not cataclysmic, catastrophic involvement with music publishing because he and Tallis get the monopoly from Queen Elizabeth in 1575 to sell printed music paper and to print music. And as so often you think of Lully um, a century later in France, it's just a, a, a complete no-no for the sort of freedom of music publishing that we'd seen in, in Europe at the time, continental Europe. Um, so it didn't really do much for him. They, he did, they didn't sell most of them. Apparently there were large stacks of these part books that um, at the time that he, he wasn't able to sell. I was, oh, who was I reading about that? I can't remember. Anyway, so, sorry. You, so it's a bit like having boxes of CDs of yeah. your own recordings, like yeah. cluttering up your living room. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Getting paid in CDs. I can't <laughs> sell them. Yeah, do, you, so. do you go to concerts, sell your CDs, and people pick them up and say, oh, that's very nice. I'll go and listen to that on Spotify for free. Yeah, frequently. Yeah. The answer to that is great, and I'll be around to do your ironing shortly as well. <laughs> Anyway, what, what can we listen to from that? Something so, perhaps a bit different? Yes, so the, uh, just towards the end of the collection there are a couple of consort songs. So uh, the, the, I think that the settings come in, in, in different combinations of voices. Um, but here we have uh, vile consort and just solo voice. Because Bird really didn't really do magicals, did he? There's a couple, there's, there's, he, he did the Sweet and Merry Month of May yeah, twice, twice. the six-part one <laughs> yeah. and the four-part one. Um, but he he didn't really go down that uh, uh, that path at all. So you get these much more contrapuntal songs. And I think voice and vials is a really good way to do this domestic way of doing them. You can really hear the text. It's it's such an evocative. It's a sound world which is so evocative for that period in particular. This is a setting called Our Silly. You've got to be careful how you say this. Our Silly Soul, and this is fretwork uh, and the mezzo Lissy Paul. Oh, 
the viol consort fretwork and the mezzo-soprano Lissy Paul uh, in a performance of Our Silly Soul by William Byrd. And you mentioned, let's stick with British composers, you mentioned James McMillan at the beginning. Is that something we can hear a little clip of? What's that project? Yeah, so this is a, is a piece that he wrote for the fifth anniversary of the Cumnock Trist. Uh, and it's, it's a cantata called All the Hills and Vales Along. It's a setting of poetry by Charles Hamilton Sawley, who was a, a First World War, he was a Scottish war poet, uh, killed at the Battle of Lewes in 1915. Um, and the piece was written specifically for the festival chorus. Uh, so the chorus came, uh, just a very tell you very quickly the chorus came out of a, a come and sing day at the very first coming at trist and it was so good i said to james i said look we've got a ready-made festival chorus here let's do something more with them so over the successive years we we did a foray requiem and we did uh various other bits and pieces uh, a piece by cecilia mcdowell her starbat mater and james's at the back of james's mind was always to write a piece specifically for them and so for the fifth uh anniversary of the trist he wrote this piece and it's scored for brass band and chorus, string ensemble and tenor soloist. And it, it's just absolutely wonderful, but written very specifically for the choir. Um, so he knew the, the, he knew the level. He knew the level, knew the singers. I remember him talking about it in one of our first episodes, actually, with, with Harry Christophers as well. He was talking about um, the chorus and, and his experience with that. Yeah. So what he did was he wrote uh, an a cappella version of the motet that's that sort of forms the centerpiece of, of the whole work. And we performed that the year before, and then it's it's integrated into the piece as a whole. And that's what we're going to hear a bit of now. Uh, it's called When You See Millions of the Mouthless Dead. And just a little a sort of bon mot for myself. Um, it's actually dedicated to me, this piece, which, nice. which I'm really rather proud about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you hear a little progression like that, and that's so clearly James McMillan. Some people will want to work out exactly why that is. Is it the 
the two fourths in a projecture is it surprise in thirds but um yeah. also the use of silence which is such a fundamental part of his music and he's talked about that sort of at length in places that giving the listener room to absorb what they've heard so for him the silence is almost as important as the notes on the page as well well that's uh, mozart isn't it music is the silence in between we can hear your dog growl his, his stomach growling outside well, it was your stomach growling earlier wasn't it <laughs> <laughs> um so, so I mean, you're presumably also running around with the sixteen. Yeah, as pace. yeah, as I said, uh, choral pilgrimage continues apace, um, and then we get into our Christmas tour. Uh, come come December, um, we've got we'll be recording next year's choral pilgrimage program mm. uh, in November as well. So it's it's normally a busy time of year. This uh, and yeah, you start looking towards you know what's coming up on the horizon uh, mm. post Christmas. I should be taking the 24 at the University of York, also the uh, university choir, the large choir that you did last year with uh, with your Vorjak. We've got a programme called Long, Long Ago, which is a straight rip-off of the Fagellini concert we did from live from live from London last, uh, no, two years ago, when we did the Charpentier Mestre which is lovely and tuneful. And it'll be yeah. a big choir for it, but it's it's fine, I think. And But also the Howells Four choral anthems, including Long, Long Ago, which is the one that doesn't get done so much. Is that um, actually what... Is it? That's part I of the think, set, is it? Well, I, you know, I didn't think it was, but only, I think, because I don't get the scores out very often, and I believe it is marked carol anthem on the top. Either that or you told me it was. And so I... All right, yeah, blame me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Fagellini's also here and there. In fact, we were doing concert last night in Bristol, uh, this rewilding the wasteland thing, uh, which is a, something we, we we put together in 2021. It was a sort of anniversary of T.S. Eliot's The Wasteland, written in a time of, you know, um, just after the Spanish uh, flu, mm-hmm. uh, but also the First World War and lots of, sort of questions about what's the point of humanity, what's the future for it all. Um, and we commissioned six new works as part of the programme, uh, seven in fact, two by Ben Roweth, one by Shruti Rajaseka, whom I'd met on the National Youth Choir course a couple of years back, and four, which seems a bit greedy, by Joanna Marsh, and she totally came up trumps. I mean, but between you and me, shush now, Flossie, and between you and me, we know that when we commission, we're going to get a certain proportion that we will want to do again. It's just the way you can't every time have a, a complete hit that's going to be perfect. But yeah. Joanna, really, I mean, we were doing a metachoral in blue last night uh, for only the second time, which is great fun. But the piece that we finished the show, I mean, The Wasteland is, uh, it's not a happy poem. And how do you do, after everything everyone's been through, how do you make a programme that is honest to the problems facing humanity, but also has some sort of up at the end? And it was Claire Pelly, one of our trustees, who came up with these choices of poetry. Um, Fantastic. And this one ends with a poem by John F. Keane called The World is Charged, Irish poet. The World is Charged being the first line of Jeremy Hopkins' God's Grandeur. Um, and what she's done, which is a poem, you know, 150 years old about how, yes, humanity seems to be screwing everything up, but don't worry, it's going to be OK because of God's grace. And 150 years on from that, you, you know, we're not so sure. And he writes this fantastic poem, which is all about the everyday, the uh, how humanity, how history is all around us in things that we see every day. And it finishes with this lovely last four lines. And Joanna's Joanna said it, she quotes the um, the Leighton in it, the Leighton setting of mm-hmm. God's Grandeur. 
Um, and it's about seven minutes long, but it sort of exponentially blooms at the end and the sopranos and everyone sort of saw. And this is a recording from our recording for Voce's Eights Live from London uh, a year and a bit ago. But let me just read you the last four lines of the poem. In fact, as it's a podcast, I'm going to read the whole whole poem and then we'll just play the song. I was startled by the squawk, the simultaneous long-tailed and spread-winged half-spectacular half-dive of the cock pheasant, his wattles, his bronzed body up over the hedge, and see there the Japanese anemone, pea-green heart within a scatter ring of gold. And here, humbler still and local, see the mare's tail weed and the quick reaching of the briars. Note too how the tiny pimpernel persists along the driveway from the red gate to the front door. Astonishment from heart to eye to ragwort, from there to woodlouse, eucalyptus, owl, and on to Sirius and the plough. And we have been years, she and I, walking by fields where generations lived and loved, have laboured and have disappeared, with their sheds and implements and cattle, into the deep where they stay resonant in their silence, their poorer cottages crumbled into liqueur of rosehip, dust of nettle, knowing that we too will be with them, alive and loving in the warm light that still persists hereabouts and everywhere and forever.
The World is Charged by Joanna Marsh. Thanks to Fortune's Eight's Live from London recording of that. That was us live, Evangelini Live, uh, April last year. And I'm going to credit the singers because it's got an individual piece. Frederick Long bass, Greg Skidmore baritone, Matthew Long tenor, no relation, me counter tenor, Martha McLaurin, follow, she is fabulous, uh, contralto, and sopranos Rebecca Lee and Anna Crooks. You like? I really like it. I think that's one of the most striking and engaging pieces I've heard for a long time. Well, maybe not for a long time because there's there's been a lot of good music yeah, recently. Yeah, but it's really that's re- I mean, I'm, I'm blown away by it actually. The way she paces it in relation to the text, like the the explosion of color and astonishment, is an incredible musical depiction of the word astonishment. It's very well written for individual voices, for solo voices, almost unaware for long passages of anyone breathing. It's very. It seems to be very. I mean, yeah, she not, gives us she I'm, gives us all a rest uh, as you go along in the piece. You do get some bars off, which is not not always the case. I, I think you know the fact that it's it's quite palestrina like in a way, in that it's perfectly melodic and polyphonic, but then you get sort of chordal passages as well. Yeah, um, and. The, the sort of hypnotic ostinato in the bass towards the end, I really love that. All based on that quote from the Leighton, because in the same way the poem references uh, Jeremiah Hopkins's God's Grandeur, the piece itself references that one passage from the Leighton setting of that. Yeah, I think it's, it's hypnotic and it's been a huge hit with audiences. Not a kind of ta end to a concert, but... Um, but a very thoughtful one. Yeah, I want to go away and listen to it again straight away now. Well, we'll be doing it with the 24, actually. I decided we would do three, do it three to a part um, in our concert in uh, in November. And Evangeline will be singing it in Tavistock on October the 6th and York on October the 5th when we're doing Rewilding the Wasteland. Yeah, make sure you tape that one with the 24. I'd be very interested to hear what it sounds like with bigger forces. OK, yeah, great. Lovely. Well, thanks for listening. Um, do put the word about here. Our numbers are niche and small. And it's always good if we can get a few more people listening, especially at the start of a series. Uh, next time, as we said, we will be in Lucca in Italy. Well, I will anyway when I shall meet the youth. See you next time. Bye for now. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 
The secret to visibly firmer, summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dull, dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Rich yet never greasy, Andaria Algae Body Oil is formulated with sustainably sourced seaweed to help replenish the skin's moisture barrier and seven nourishing active botanical oils for results you can see and feel all over. The best part? It's signature scent. A blend of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. This all-natural scent is unforgettable. Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu .com, code GLOW. Just before you go, another reminder to try listening on Patreon, which costs just a few pounds per month. Or if you prefer, you can very simply make a one-off donation. You can actually do either via coralchihuahua.com. Thanks. <laughs>